0: We have been in the book of Romans for a year and a half now. And so last week we stopped, I said, let's let's hit pause, and we stopped to look back over our shoulder at what are some of the high points, what are some of the highlights, what are some of the peaks that we've seen in this book so far, because there's some amazing peaks before we just put our head down and plow on into Romans 8 and 9 that are two of the richest chapters in all of this Bible. But... It'd be great to see where have we been. What are some of the big themes that stand out? And so the first thing that stood out to us that we reviewed last week was that Romans 1 makes it absolutely clear. It's not fuzzy. There's no question about it. That your biggest problem and my biggest problem is a sin problem. But you got to push that to another level. A sin problem that brings you face to face with a, say it, with a God problem. With a God problem. See, our sin problem has more to do with God than it does other people around us. Even though our consciousness is most about how it affects other people around us, we say, oh, man, this is a messed up world. This is a broken world. And You're aware of it with the hurts and the, and the broken relationships and how easily communication gets snarled and twisted and you say, I didn't mean that. And, oh. We have such a sense of how sin impacts us on a horizontal level, but we need the Bible to bring us back to say, wait a minute, as bad as that is, and it is bad, it's not the worst thing going on. It's that you have a God problem because of your sin problem. And we saw how Paul, Paul uses the first two chapters, first really three chapters of Romans to just reason his way tightly with this to push your back against the wall not just certain people sometimes we have candidates of people with that there's a sinner and they were guilty of it in the bible you think about the woman who came in when they were eating and jesus was there and 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 the religious leader said if if he's really who he says he is he would know that this woman is a sinner uh yeah so are you But we tend to have that. We have certain people that we put in categories in there. There's a sinner. So Paul works hard in Romans 1, 2, 3 to get us all in the same category to realize, no, all of us are sinners. Look at it with me in Romans 3. And I hope you have a what with you? Say it again. Bible. Bible or an app in your lap. It's your choice. You will never see that with me. But it's okay if that's where you want to go. Romans 3, look at verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks. In the Bible, they didn't spend a lot of time deciding who's Italian, who's German, who's the big two classes of human beings. Were you either a Jew or you weren't? Everybody else was a Gentile, Jews and Gentiles. So he's taking all people the two big classes they had then and putting them in the same condition for we have charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin as it is written there is none righteous no not say it not one not one now skip to verse 22 and i want you to jump in on that last phrase of verse 22 Last phrase of verse 22 that says, for there is no, what? Difference. Difference. And he's talking to you. Some of you have yourself in a category, but I'm different. My mom told me I'm different. Your mom was wrong. You're not different. <laughs> Depending on when you grew up. But this generation, oh, you're awesome. He's walking. You're awesome. You climb the ladder. You're awesome. Way to go, buddy. News alert, most all of us have walked, but your mother went nuts over everything you did. You're not as special as you think. And God tells us, there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's our condition. By nature, you don't have to choose it. You don't have to become that. You don't reach a certain point in life where it's like, now, you're a sinner. By birth, immediately. And then Romans chapter one told us, it's not just that we fall short of the glory of God. Romans one goes on to tell us, we exchange the glory of God for something created in this world. I don't want the glory of God. I don't want that. I'll take something else here. I want to build my life around something else here. I want to make much of something else here. I want to prize, treasure, worship, build an altar in front of something else here. Whether it's money or sex or friends or job or promotion or athletic prowess or fame. I can stand here the rest of the afternoon and just name off the ways. It doesn't matter. I don't have to give you all of them, but there's just... Multitudes of ways of things that we exchange the glory of God for. Just something else in this world. All of us. So the heart of sin has to do with a horrible exchange. That's what's at the heart of sin. This horrible exchange that we don't want the glory of God... I want something else in this life. I want, to, I want to build my life around something else in this life. Exchange. Over a dozen years ago, as a family, we took a, a family vacation to Canada when the kids were still young. And I experienced a little bit of this sense of exchange. As we crossed into, you know, from America to Canada... And you're there at the serious-looking whatever, the gates and the border patrol and blah, blah, blah. And so we did all the things you're supposed to do. But one of the things that was optional, I thought, was go ahead and exchange your money from American dollars to Canadian dollars. As a typical man, I just thought, there's plenty of time for that later on. Let's get going into Canada. Let's see some stuff, do some stuff, conquer some t- stuff. Oh, there'll be all kinds of other places to do that. Of course, my wife, right, what do you think she was saying? do it now, do it now, let's get that taken care of, do it now, Ah. big mistake, big mistake, there were not all kinds of other places to do that, so now here we are with a family, five young kids and us, every every place we go and everything we're trying to do is like we wanna eat here, they don't take Visa, we wanna shop here, they don't take Visa, we wanna buy gas here before we're just shoved to the side of the road with the entire family, they don't take Visa, so then we pull into this parking lot where we want to catch a ferry out to Toronto Island this fun island that's got all kinds of parks and stuff going on and so I'm figuring already all right, they're not going to take visa they're going to want to cash everyone else wanted cash and as I pull into the parking lot I see some guy just a guy standing on the edge of the parking lot with an apron and some sad little sign that looks like he's made and it looks like this is his own deal this is his own deal going on like Canada hasn't like had him do this and he'll exchange money. So I start walking towards him and we get into this conversation. You know how those things kind of go. It's like, he keeps saying the same thing and I keep saying the same thing back and he keeps saying, how much you got? I keep saying, how much is it gonna cost? He keeps saying, how much you got? How much is it gonna cost? How much you got? It's like, cause I made a mistake. As I shut the door and started walking towards him, I said, all I got is American dollars. Do you take American dollars? Let me help you, don't start that way. Don't start that way, keep that a secret. So finally, it's one of those things that truly, I don't remember how it ended, you know what I mean? It just, you go around and around and finally it's sorted out and we come to some conclusion, but you ever, you ever been in one of those moments and you just have this sinking sick feeling that you were just violated, <laughs> right? You can't put your finger on it, you don't know for sure, but I just feel violated. Especially as you walk back to the vehicle and I've got all this paper money with queens on it and it just doesn't seem like enough. It doesn't seem like all that I gave him. But I get in the vehicle and try to regain my composure and and sense of dignity. But apparently I wasn't the only one that that picked up on that sense of violation. Harrison and Lauren were in the back seat. I, I don't think they could even hear. They're just looking out the windows and they're young and they both pipe up at the same time and say, hey dad. That guy just ripped you off, didn't he? <laughs> and if you know anything about being a man, some of you do, and being a dad, some of you do, that's a bad dad moment. We do everything we can to avoid those moments. I don't want to be thought of that way. So it's embarrassing. And I, didn't, I couldn't think of anything to say back because I just thought, yeah, you just watched your dad get ripped off publicly in O Canada, eh? You know, I was, I was like, ah. And so I spent the rest of the day trying to have fun. You know, something just kind of gets in you and just. But with this sinking, unsettling feeling that the exchange was not right and cost me way too much. Listen to me, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16. Go there. Matthew chapter 16, verse 26. In Matthew 16, verse 26, Jesus talks about an exchange rate that is far worse than what happened to me in Canada and was embarrassing in front of my kids. He says in Matthew 16, 26, What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world yet loses his soul or what shall a man give watch this see what's happening just like Romans 1 what shall a man give in exchange for his soul I want you to understand as you push away the glory of God And say no to the glory of God and say, I don't I don't want to live for that. I don't want my life to be about that. I got other things I want to do. I've got I've got other ambitions and aspirations, and I see all kinds of other possibilities of how I could be really fulfilled, really joyful. You are not just paying way too much for whatever it is you're exchanging God's glory for here. You are selling out your soul. Because look at me, you were made to live for the glory of God. Middle schoolers sitting here, you were made to live for the glory of God. High schoolers, you were made to live for the glory of God. Doesn't matter who you are, where you are, at what station in life, listen to me. 20-something-year-olds that are just getting going, whole life ahead of you, all kinds of things yet to accomplish, or maybe it's marriage, or maybe it's children, or maybe it's 40-something-year-olds and 50s that are kind of just hitting your stride in your career, and you're beginning to see things you'd hope to see and having opportunities you'd hope to have opportunities for. Those of you that are on the other side, late 50s, 60s, 70s that are Maybe thinking you're going to hit cruise control, start making birdhouses, collect shells, play golf more, just toddle with the grandkids. It doesn't matter what season of life you're in. Computer games, marriage, children, grandchildren, career opportunities, athletic prowess will never fill what God designed in your life to be, that you need to live for the glory of God. You were made to live for, now don't hear me saying you can't do any of those, have children to the glory of God. If God gives you some grandchildren to the glory of God, be a hard worker and be good at your craft. Whatever your craft is, be the best. And you may have opportunities. If he gave you athletic abilities, use them to the glory of God. But if you, for one moment, begin to build your life and your world around marriage or kids or career or athletic prowess or anything else it will go toxic on you and never satisfy because you were made to live for the glory of God you're not an animal. You're not like the aardvark or the golden retriever or the house plant. You're created in the image of God. You've got a God-shaped vacuum in your soul. Hey, you have a soul. And you need God. And you are made to live for the glory of God. And some of you don't believe this. You think it would be a horrible thing. Oh, if I let God in my life, if I turn my life over to God, if I really begin to build my world around God. Ah! I'll be in a pith helmet with a machete and a large woman I didn't choose by my side being a missionary somewhere, <laughs> right? And we just think terrible things like whatever is not what I would want is what God would have for me. Why do we do that? Because of our sinful flesh and because of our enemy that's the father of lies and a deceiver. Listen to me, you don't even begin to hit your stride and feel like you're firing on all pistons until you begin along with perhaps marriage and kids and grandkids and career put at the center of all that and I am raising my kids for the glory of God and I hold them loosely. I don't live for them. I don't worship them and I am living for the glory of God as I seek to be the best headhunter, as I seek to be the best construction worker, school teacher, homeschool mom, at the center of my life is living for the glory of God as I do these other things, you will begin to sense, yes, 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 I was made for this. But your flesh won't tell you that. And the culture around us is certainly not going to tell you that. And so see, get this, this exchange rate, whatever you're paying for whatever else you're choosing instead of living for the glory of God, you're not just paying way too much. It's not just ridiculous and embarrassing like what I experienced on the parking lot there in Canada. It's far worse. It's criminal and it's terminal because it's leading you on a path of eternal death and destruction. That's what I want to unpack some today. So here's my second point. Your sinful condition of exchanging the glory of God for something else created in this world. (sighs) Brings down the wrath of God on you. And I have prayed all week. I have carried what has felt like a heavy, broken heart of sorrow all week. Thinking about telling you this message. But listen, I don't delight in telling you what I'm going to tell you for the rest of this hour. But I do delight in being faithful to our Lord Jesus Christ. Because I don't get to choose the message, I'm the messenger. And it's in the Bible and I have to be faithful, but I have to be honest. I do it with a broken heart, a pleading heart, a sorrowful heart as I think about loved ones of my own and friends of my own and people that I know and love dearly and care about. That as I tell you this, they are in this category. What I'm gonna share with you today is gonna happen to them. So this is not like I don't have anybody particular in mind. Oh, it's burdened me that I do have people in mind. But I must be faithful. My goal is not to see if we can build attendance. My goal is not to see if I can structure our church in such a way that we can just attract everybody and anybody and not offend anybody. My goal is until Christ returns or he takes me out of this world to be someone who to the best of my ability, and I'm sure I didn't get it all right, I'll find out later what all the things I said that were wrong, but until then, I'm going to work hard to say what God's word says. Thank you. So, you need to understand, folks. Here's the deal. We live in a culture of choices. You go into the grocery store and it's overwhelming. Like, I, I, Vicki had foot surgery, so I was doing shopping that I don't, normally don't do. I, I, I don't know. It's just like, it's just the cereal aisle just... just Put me to my knees. I'm like, she just said, get Cheerios, get the off-brand Cheerios, but make sure it doesn't have the wheat, make sure it doesn't have the honey, make sure it doesn't, there's like six different kinds of Cheerios. When I was little, there was Cheerios. There was Count Chocula. There was Cap'n Crunch. That was about it. And there was Wheaties. Ugh. I mean, we're so used to choices, and we just think, well, that's, that's just my choice. So if I choose to miss out on something, that I don't want you for a minute to think, As I reject living for the glory of God and choose something else, oh well, I just miss out on God's love and blessing. It's worse than that. You do miss out on God's love and blessing, but you get the wrath of God. And you choose the wrath of God yourself. And I'm gonna show you that from Romans today. But this is not a subject that gets talked about. I'm sure you could Google on the internet with all the sermons that are out there and struggle to find a message on the wrath of God and maybe you grew up in the church or maybe not but you may have never heard a pastor or a teacher Sunday school teacher talk about the wrath of God now maybe you grew up in a church and there were some of those that's all you heard hellfire and brimstone there's two extremes there's two ditches to fall into right there's some of you that all you've ever heard is love, 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 love. God is love, God is love, God is love, God is love. And he is. But it's almost in an It's almost in a sappy, sentimental kind of, please love him back. Kind of like with Twitter, if you know anything about that. Some people, their profile actually says, follow me, I follow back. Like you don't really want to follow me, but if you do, I'll follow you. Whatever. It's like God loves you please love him back this, this makes him look pathetic he's pleading he's loving you just love him back that misses it or you in a church where it was just like God sees you he sees what you're doing and if you don't quit your sinning and you're running around he's going to reach a point where he just had it with you and he is going to hit the smite button and just snuff you out Okay? Both extremes. Those are the extremes. And so maybe you never heard a biblical, balanced view of God's love and God's wrath. And even as I say that, for some of you, you're thinking oil and water. Those can't both be, they are. They are both. Both are in the Bible, and the book of Romans is one of the best places to see both. In in Romans, you see some of the best demonstrations and exclamations of God's love in all the Bible. And in the book of Romans, which is interesting, we got people running around that sometimes say, oh, Old Testament is God of wrath. We got the God of love in the New Testament. We're in the New Testament, in Romans, and there's a God of love And I don't even want to say the best place because it just, and it's one of the most sobering, frightening places to see the wrath of God. Both love and wrath. So let me show you his love first. Go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 and we'll jump in at verse 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 5, where you see God's love that's incredible. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, that's a verse talking to believers, right? So if you're sharp, you're saying, that doesn't apply to everybody. You're right. Go to verse 8. And we'll grab everybody. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for, say it, say me. Let that sink in not while he looked through the tunnel of time and said, now there's a woman who she's going to show promise to be a Christian. She's going to turn towards me anyway, so I'll, I'll put... No. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a love. Probably everyone sitting here would hope That you have a love that would be willing to give your life for a child, one of your children. Or a love that would be willing to lay down your life for your wife or your husband. But we don't know. Few of us are called on to actually do that. But we would hope. Folks, listen. You don't have to ever wonder the depth or the extent to which God loves you. He showed it. While wow, we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Go to Romans eight. One of the most amazing passages that describe the love of God. Some of you, if you grew up in church, you probably memorized some of this because you're going to recognize it when we get to part of it. But start in Romans eight thirty five. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress? Or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril. As it is written, for your sake we're killed all day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And here's a place that some of you might know. For I am persuaded... That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth. And in case nothing fits that category, he just throws in there, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Oh. Just let that settle in on you. And say, oh God, please. Please. More than I've ever experienced before, help me to put your love for me in an altogether different category than any earthly love. Because it is. You don't have another love like this. You do not. Nothing can separate you From the love of God Which is Could you be in a loveless, cold Hurtful marriage? Yes Could you have children that break your heart? Yes Could you have best, best, best friends that betray you? Yes Could you have job opportunities and supervisors That you thought were for you that turn against you? Yes I could go on Yes, yes, yes In so many levels in this world We learn that even those who love us at some points Can hurt us deeply later That's not the love of God. And it's never on again, off again. He doesn't have good days, bad days, and it's never measured out based on how well you're doing on any given day. Oh, say hallelujah. Say thank you, Lord. That's the love of God. Like no other love but that's not the whole story in the Bible. And it's not a complete picture of God. And it does not tell the whole story of all his attributes. You see, our sinful condition of exchanging the glory of God for other things and our bent towards pushing away the love of God and living for something else brings down the wrath of God on us. Remember Romans 1.18? Go there. Romans 1. Romans 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God, and I'm going to read it from the NIV, New International Version, because I think it it makes it most clear what I see in the original Greek. For the wrath of God is being revealed right now. It's a present tense verb that indicates ongoing, ongoing, ongoing constant disclosure the wrath of God is being revealed right now against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness Now, if you're like me you may be thinking okay how's the wrath of God being revealed right now what am I seeing that you'd say that's it that's what we're talking about how everywhere a Christian looks And it's Christians that have eyes to see it mostly Unbelievers can see it some But Christians are the ones that just Because Jesus lives in you He's renewing your mind What was dark is now light Everywhere a Christian looks You see a pattern Of degeneration A pattern of degeneration Where people are moving further and further Away from God And more and more into idolatry and immorality of a grosser and grosser sort. What used to be shameful is proclaimed boldly. What used to be done in secret is shouted from the rooftop with braggadocio. Right? I know I'm getting older, but folks, things are so much worse Now, if you come to our church a while, you know I'm not that Christian or pastor that wants you all to listen to Rush Limbaugh on conservative radio that runs around like a chicken with his head cut off. Ah, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. These are the worst of times. God is sovereign, is on his throne. The message of the gospel is still just as powerful as ever was. We have everything we need, the Holy Spirit living in us, direct access to his throne, the church of Christ around us. But you do see exactly what the Scriptures said would happen in 2 Timothy 3, that things would get worse and worse and worse, and men would be lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure, lovers of money, haters of God, despisers of good, disobedient to parents. Were there? Oh. A pattern of degeneration with more and more moving further and further away from God into more and more, greater and greater idolatry and immorality. With a loss. With a loss of restraint. You know what I mean? There's just no restraint. Here's a word that you just don't find anymore. Shame. There's just no shame. That's how the wrath of God is being revealed today. Today. And here's what, and you still may be confused. I'm not getting what you're saying, Brad. I hope you'll get it next, because I'm going to show you some scripture. We're in Romans 1, and Romans 1, 19 to 31 begins to unpack and show you how the wrath of God is being revealed today. But I want you to look at me before I show you these three verses, because I want you to really work hard to avoid a mistake that I think the church has made that is taking us years to overcome. And a mistake that some Christians keep making that is not helping us. Reach lost people with a broken heart. This says, I love you and God has good news for you. And it's this Paul chooses to use homosexuality as one example of how sin, when you give yourself over to it, more and more leads you down a path of what is just backwards, upside down, perverted. He never Intended to hold up homosexuality as the whipping boy and say that's the worst sin. That's perverted. You're lying and covetousness and your adultery and pornography and all that. That's not so bad. Amen. He can't. He, he chooses not to give an exhaustive list. Right when you're teaching or preaching, he said, "Let me give you an example." He gives the example of homosexuality. But listen to me. All sin. All of our sins are moving more and more and more into a bolder, less shame. All. Now, go with me. Look at verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions... Verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. and look at me. I want to press something right there. Notice how that's worded. Even as they did not like to retain. You know what that means? They had it. They had it. Is there any human being that truly doesn't know there's a God? Say no. You know there's a God, but you, as you move further and further down this path of saying, I don't want to live for the glory of God. That sounds like a bummer. That sounds like a real killjoy. I got my own thoughts. I'm going to build my life and my world around this. The further you go down that path, more and more, you say, I don't want to think about God. I don't want God in the picture. I don't want God in the equation. I don't want anything about God. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over To a debased mind, to do those things that are not fitting. Listen to me, the more you push God out of your thoughts, and you have to push Him out of your thoughts because they're there. Every time this world screams, There's a God, even in its brokenness. The more you do that, the more darkness. That sets into your mind. You need God my friend. God brings the light. God brings understanding. God's the only thing that can help you reign in your passage. That will keep you from foolishly and ignorantly. Running down a path that doesn't just hurt others. It brings self destruction. God gave them up. God gave them up. God gave them over. That is the wrath of God of God being revealed right now see we tend to think oh the wrath of God will be when woo, he gets in my way and does something oh listen the wrath of God today th- that day's coming and we're going to talk about it in a minute the wrath of God today is that he you persist hard enough you push long enough he just says go 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 and he gives you, listen to me carefully, don't feel hard towards God, he gives you what you keep choosing instead of standing in your way in mercy and love. He says, okay, okay, go. Some of you sitting here perhaps are at that point where you say, I grew up in church, I grew up around Christian stuff and church things and maybe you were homeschooled, I don't know what your background is. But you've reached a point now where you're, you're feeling better. I don't feel as conflicted as I used to trying to sleep with my girlfriend and doing all these things that I thought were wrong. I was taught they were wrong. I'm reaching a point where it doesn't bother me as much. This is good. That's bad. You don't want to get there. You do not want to begin to live against God's ways and God's word and not feel bad about it that's the wrath of God being revealed today turning giving you up giving you up giving you over but it's not the unpardonable sin so hear me you if you're if that's you you're sitting here today there's hope for you right now there's hope for you today you can repent today Christ has come to me today The mercy of God, even though he may have given you over, is he's not through with you. And in his sovereignty, you came in here and you're hearing a message of hope that Christ died for you. Don't walk away from it. There's hope. That's the wrath of God being revealed today. But oh, listen to me. As much as that breaks my heart, I tell you what just tell you what just about undid me was pondering and knowing that I need to tell you about a future wrath to come that is so much worse a future greater day of wrath and I say it with sorrow and listen to me some of you It's because you continue to reject Christ and the message of hope and the gospel and the invitation of eternal life and freedom and forgiveness, and you continue. And some of you, you're persisting to to continue to reject Christ, and you're hostile. Okay, there's still hope for you. Paul the apostle was quite hostile, and God saved him. But some of you, you persist in rejecting the hope of Christ as your savior. Simply out of ignorance and disinterest You just Whatever There's plenty of time for that i got to do some living Those of you that are hostile And those of you that are simply Ignorant and disinterested Will both face The same horror Of the wrath of God You don't have to be hostile You can be ignorant And disinterested And treat it lightly Look at Romans 2 5. Romans 2 5. Because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Did you hear what he's saying? Who, who, well, hey, there's a day, right? A day, there's a day of judgment coming. Who is doing what he's saying is being done in that verse? Who's doing it? You. You, in your stubbornness, and maybe a stubbornness that says, "I I want to run my own life. I want to make the calls. I want to call the shots. I just, I don't know what's going on. In your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, listen to me, you're not just saying, no thanks on the love of God. Every time you do that, every day that you choose to persist in your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up for yourself wrath. I can't think of a more terrifying verse to have you ponder. You know, most of us in this room perhaps have a portion of your paycheck, a percentage that automatically is going into a 403B, a 401K, something for the future that you're, you're storing up. Can you imagine? I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine. Because it's true. God's word says if you're here and you don't know Christ... And now you can't say, I don't know. I didn't know the message. I didn't know there was hope. I didn't know there was a Savior. I didn't know someone died for me. That's all off the table now. If you walk out of here saying whatever, you will just continue storing up for yourself. You, you are storing it up for yourself. Wrath. For the day of wrath and revelation of the judgment of a holy righteous God. And again, don't get mad at God. Just like the gave them up, gave them up, turn them over. You're choosing it. He he pleads. He pleads. He's saying, what else could I do? What else would you have me do? I put creation around you that screams there's a God. I created you in my own image. You're the only thing in the whole universe that's in the image of me. And then I didn't just send little pamphlets down from heaven saying, woo, things aren't going well. Straighten up. The second person of the Trinity took on flesh, was born in a manger, and treaded this sod where you live. Experienced rejection and betrayal, and worse than that, experienced and stood in the path of God's wrath. Jesus Christ stood in the path of God's wrath when he hung on the cross and took it for you. And so if you just glibly say, whatever, or you can be hostile, it doesn't matter. You're storing up. You're just storing up. You are storing up. You are doing it to yourself. And listen, when you hear a verse like this, God's not like your mom. Uh, And all moms don't do this I don't mean to stereotype But I've seen it quite a bit Without meaning to Moms can just rant And rave And scream And yell And threaten And foam at the mouth And kids learn real fast This is how we roll Me and mom She yells She screams She rants She raves She throws down ultimatums And threats I do what I want And she never follows through They don't have to get that old to figure that out. She never follows through. Listen to me. I'm going to change the word from threat. Your mom may make threats. God makes no threats. God only makes promises. And he keeps all his promises. And what you need to understand, some of his promises are precious and comforting. Like the promise that, I will never leave you or forsake you. I'll adopt you. Oh, we could spend the rest of the day just talking about the promises of God that are so precious. And folks, he makes some promises that are terrifying. That if you reject the glory of God and say, I'll take something in this world instead, thank you very much, you bring down the wrath of God on you. You do it, and it's happening right now. And if you persist, you're gonna end up in verse 24, 26, or 28 with him giving you up. And on that final day, you will experience it in a way that just my mind cannot even grasp. A verse like Romans 2, 5 oh my goodness a verse like Romans 2 5 should cause you to shut your mouth and shut off all the electronic devices that keep us so distracted 24 hours a day and just be still and think about this sobering truth and I hope this doesn't throw you for a loop The thought that there's a terrifying side to God. We see it in creation. So it shouldn't surprise us. Right? So creation is some of those things that often I'll mention like a babbling brook, the crashing ocean, the snow-capped mountains, the smell of pine, redwood forests. All that causes us to think of the goodness, the beauty, the wonder, the majesty, the power, the splendor of God. But folks... That same creation that moves us to think about some of those, does it not on a regular basis also give us glimpses and reminders of the fury and power of God? A hurricane that just levels a city. A tornado that just snaps off trees like toothpicks. A flood that just takes entire railroad cars that weigh tons and just tosses them around like children's toys on the den floor. Right? Creation... Is an extension of God and reminds you and gives you a taste and a glimpse of who this God is and what he's like. That same summer that we went to Canada, I experienced being as close as I've ever been. Close as I've ever been to the most powerful and furious natural force that I've seen in this world. As we went to Niagara Falls. And it was breathtaking on the Canadian border side, up on the observation deck, behind the safety railing, looking down. But I made a note of some other people that I thought were having different thoughts perhaps than I was who had paid money to put on this serious rain gear and get in what looked to me like a tiny boat that tried, that's the operative word, tried to churn its way over to the foot of the falls. And it was something to just watch with its diesel engines pumping at the back, water just churning. And it would look at many times like it wasn't moving because it wouldn't. And they would fight their way over because the power of the water coming away from the bottom of the falls was so enormous that boat could barely get over the to put those people as close as possible to the bottom of the falls. And I thought they're having some thoughts and feelings that I'm not being that close. I did pay some money to put on rain gear and do something that got me closer. We paid... ...to go into these tunnels, 690 feet of tunnels that have been dug out on the Canadian side... ...that has three different openings that bring you out and you're inside the falls. You're standing inside looking at the back of the falls as water rushes past the opening. You had to take turns getting up there because there's a little opening. But even going through the excuse me, tunnels, you could just feel the pressure of what was nearby. The ground was trembling, the walls were shaking... And then to stand there with my little turn and to see 34 million gallons of water a minute rushing past, which is 600,000 gallons a second with the power of 8 million horsepower, which is why the Niagara Falls electrical production facility is the biggest, most powerful in all the world harnessing that and sending it as far away as New York City. When you stand that close, you have a sense of bone-crushing power. Just makes you feel weak in your knees, and I'll tell you what else it does that's good. Makes you feel so small. And brings you back to reality. See, I, I tell you very often... I believe when we gather like this around God's word and sing of our great God, these are glimpses of reality. we got to come together like this on Sunday to remind ourselves of reality and get together in small groups for a little more reality. And read your Bible every day on your own for some more reality. Because in general, the culture feeds you a humongous diet of unreality, 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 and causes you to think more of yourself than you ought. But no display of earthly power, no display of earthly power in this world could get you ready for the power that's going to be unleashed in the wrath of God on that final day. The Apostle John, get this, if you know your Bibles at all, the Apostle John is the one that was called the Apostle of what? Love, the one that laid on Jesus' breast, was very close to him. The Apostle John, the Apostle of love, writes in Revelation... And he takes a stab at trying to just describe and put in words the vision that God gave him of that final great day. And, and you, you sense that he's almost groping for words to describe it. When in Revelation 14, 10 and 11, he says, Sinners in that day will drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is mixed in full strength in the cup Of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire. And brimstone in the presence of the holy angels. And in the presence of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment. Goes up forever and ever. They have no rest. Day and night. I don't think I've ever read. A more terrifying passage. But Christ. Stepped willingly into the path of God's wrath for you. See, here's the deal. I I know I've made some of you uneasy. Some of you may never come back, but I hope you'll always remember this message. I'm your friend. I'm your friend. This may be the one straight up honest message that God said, I want you to at least have heard this once. God's love is reduced to a sappy sentimentalism and a tottering grandfather kind of concept unless it is displayed against the backdrop of God's wrath. When you see God's wrath... And then you know, he, the one who has this wrath against sin, is the same one who provided the solution and said, yes, that's my wrath. That's my fury. I have to because I'm holy, but you could never fix it. I'll give my own son for you who will take my wrath. What a God, what a savior, what a message of hope. And if it's been a while since you really were gripped by the sense that the gospel is good news. I hope now you know why it's called good news. In the book of Acts, the word was euangelion. Good news. They were just saying, we got good news. We got good news. They already knew. They already had a sense of a God. Even without the message of the gospel. They knew there's was a God. And they knew the gods are always angry. The gods are always angry. The gods, This is good news. There's only one God. And oh, he has a side of him that is wrath and he has to against sin to be holy. But that same God doesn't need you to scurry around and try to cover up your sin or pay for it or buy it. Imagine this. What if the deal was oh, you could be redeemed, you could be rescued, but it takes years. You got to get on a certain path, you got to serve so long in the church, you got to get to the level of deacon or elder, or you got to give so much money. Listen to me it's a free gift of eternal life. To young and old alike. He'll meet you right where you are. Today. In your sinful condition. And forgive you. Let me show you one final passage. And we'll close. I want to show you a word. That maybe you've always thought. "Ah, That's a a big word we don't use. Why don't we remove that. And some translations have removed it. But I use one on purpose. Because it kept it in there. Propitiation. Look at Romans 3.23 and 24 and 25. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified how freely. say it freely. freely through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God set forth to be a propitiation by his blood through faith the word propitiation means a sacrifice given that wipes out your sin And turns back wrath. If you're here and you've put your faith in Christ, you've, you've said, Jesus, I want to live for you. Be my Lord. Your sin record is erased. The righteousness of Christ, who is perfect, is in your account when God looks at you. And the wrath of God is forevermore turned back. You will never experience the wrath of God. And then he adopts you and makes you a daughter and a son. And listen to me, if you're outside the family of God and faith, come in. Come in. We're not looking for certain candidates. We're not looking for you to say, I need to go get myself cleaned up. I need to stop living with my girlfriend first. Come to Christ today. And then we'll help you know some of those things that you already know a lot of them. But we'll help hold you accountable and say, let's help you. We won't expect you to just be everything hunky-dory right away. But Jesus will live in you and he'll start helping you from the inside out. You will not fight alone. You will not try to live alone. You will have wisdom you never had before. You will have hope you never had before. You will have joy you never had before. You will have peace you never had before. And it has nothing to do with a church or a man, but a Savior who will live in you. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. If you're here and you don't know Christ, come to Christ. If you're here and you're a Christian, I hope you're encouraged. You may have been guilty of thinking, ah, but I don't have the job I want. Ah, my marriage isn't how I want. Ah, ah, your biggest problem is solved. Your biggest problem is solved. Oh, Father, work, work in every heart, work in every life. Don't allow any person, young or old, male, female, rich, poor, to walk out of here unaffected. Affect us. Either believers that are stirred with the wonder of being an object of mercy and are more ready to share that story with somebody else that needs to hear it. Or an unbeliever that for the first time would say, I need Christ. I don't want to run anymore. I don't want to resist anymore. I don't want to be indifferent anymore. And I certainly don't want to keep storing up wrath for myself. Work in our hearts, I pray in Jesus name. Amen.